Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. Now sit back and enjoy. If you love Jesus, you're a saint by designation. Oh, I got it. Thanks, bro. Meaning that because of what Jesus has already done, you're a saint. But then you get around people that they're not just a saint by designation. Like, they are a saint by lifestyle, man. Gary and Gail are saints. Like, they're some of the most saved folks that Krista and I know. They, you get around them, you get around Jesus. And as William talked about, their generosity. But just, I think, the way they love Jesus, the way they love people. Uh, one of the earlier times, I don't know, maybe about four years ago, I think was the first Power and Love that I did. Three or four years ago, it sounds right. And uh, they took care of us, and it was an immediate connection. And, man, we're just so grateful. And I can't even imagine the magnitude of putting something on like this out of your budget. I mean, come on, that's, you really love Jesus, and you really love people. You're really kingdom to do something like this. Just one more time. Just so appreciative of you guys. So love you guys. Thanks for having Chris and I. We are really, we're honored to be here. Like, we, we flew out because we wanted to be with them, and we wanted to be with you as well, but we just so, so, so love them. I, I want to dive in this. I just want to say, man, it was good. I think Todd will be back, but it's good to see my buddy Todd here. I think he had to go to the house. William as well. Man, I love William. He's a mighty man of God. My wife, Krista, I tell people, uh, she is the most true Christian I know. I mean, this woman, she convicts me. She inspires me. I, I joke, but it's very serious. At night, sometimes when she sleep, I check her back for angel wing remains because she, like, like, fell out of heaven in my bed. Come on now. That's, that's an original Sean Smith line, okay? You don't have to give me credit. But, but. And so I'm super excited. So you don't want to miss tomorrow morning. Uh, she's going to jump up and going to do this. Uh, I, I really... First of all, two things. I, whenever I get a chance to get underneath a tent, one of the things that I think about is if tents could talk and they had longevity. Just think about the things that took place underneath the tent. We're not even talking Old Testament, the tent. The ark was underneath the tent. But I'm just talking about just even recent revival history. Revivals have broken out underneath tents. Do you know that? In the Cane Ridge Revival, they threw up tents. They were out in the field just like this power of God hit so hard, women that had their hair up in a bun started whipping. It sounded like a horse whip. Come on. I, they didn't have weaves then. You'd have lost your weave if the Holy Ghost would have fallen, right? We know Oral Roberts was underneath tents. A.A. Allen, I remember seeing this. Oh, you can still see this on YouTube, right? A.A. Allen has a dude. They brought him in. Uh, the dude was, my understanding, he was a paraplegic or maybe a quadriplegic and he started moving his legs, like in front of the tent, in front of everyone, start moving his legs. And he says, oh, God, let him run like Elijah of old. Let him run like there. And all of a sudden, the dude got up off the table and started running. <laughs> Billy Graham has been underneath tents. Reinhard Bonnke has been underneath tents. I mean, we could trace it back. But what if tonight, this weekend, what if that sign that says revival meetings wasn't just a statement of faith? 
What if it was a true Holy Ghost purpose that God wanted? Because every great revival, every great awakening has to have a starting place someplace, right? Why not now? Why not us, right? All revivals need real estate in order to operate. And the first piece of real estate God is looking for is the left center cavity of your chest. I'm going to say something, right? I'm going to say probably a lot of things, okay? But I'm just going to throw this out there. I know there's some people in church that are wanting to get back to the way things were pre-COVID. Like they just wanted to get back to normal. And if it's not wearing a mask, not thinking about social distancing, not thinking about vaccinations and all that stuff, then I'm with you. But the truth be told, I think God purposely has brought us to a place he doesn't want us to go back from. I, oh, come on. I'm with the right group. I, I, I actually think we've over-glamorized that, that what we call normal. It was unbiblical at best, right? right? No, at worst, it was unbiblical. At best, it wasn't cutting it. Because here's what I say, you shouldn't be trying to get back to normal unless your normal was revival. Unless your normal was Jesus' glory spilling over geography, transforming folks. We should be pressing on to what God has in front of us. And I, I have a little tiny, I believe, prophetic purpose of the whole quarantine pandemic. I believe the Lord used it to blow the Laodicean dust off the church we came out of 2019, we are wealthy, we have needed nothing, we're fat, we got it all together, and all of a sudden, a little one one billionth of a yardstick little virus looked like a soccer ball with red roses or whatever coming out of it, and all of a sudden, the church got desperate, right? And we came back, and we're allowing God to give us a new wineskin, we're allowing God to, to have his place. The Holy Ghost is about to do a Holy Ghost church takeover. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. This is going to be good tonight. I can feel it right now. Come on. Just touch your neighbor right now. Say, I'm excited, but I'm about to get worse. Come on. Just. So awesome, you guys, man. Really. I seriously, as a young evangelist, I would dream about being underneath tents. Uh, a mentor of mine has been under quite a few tents in his life, and I would dream about this. And so I'm going to savor every moment. Let's just stop and pray right now. Jesus you're awesome. You're beautiful beyond description. Jesus, you're the one reason that has brought us all together, the one reason why we're here. Lord, the food is awesome. The, the, the picturesque fields, the lake, all of it is just awesome. It's amazing, especially for a native Northern Californian out of inner city Oakland. But the truth be told, the real reason why we're here is to behold you, is to gaze upon your beauty. Is to receive from you. Holy Spirit, have your way. We have all been in enough meetings that were a reflection of man's nature. We need those meetings that are a reflection of God's nature. Let this meeting be one of them. We pray for the power of God to manifest underneath this tent. We pray for signs, wonders, and miracles. We pray for deliverances. God, we pray you would just go, Holy Ghost, third world on us underneath this tent. We would not be able to walk away from We would be so wrecked, God. That, Lord, maybe, maybe we, who knows what may happen, God. Father, I pray, God, that you'd be able to get me out of the way, God, that you could release and do and breathe and transform the way you want to. And, God, for that, we give you the glory in advance. As one preacher said, your credit history is good with us. Lord, we can give you worship now for what we know you're going to do already. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Woo. If you got a Bible, go to Genesis 28. 
take out your smartphone wherever you're at. Uh, we have, we brought some stuff over there, and uh, we've got a couple books over there, and we've got one on prophetic evangelism that's over there. This is, I'm going to call this, this is the classic edition, and I'm about to re-release or release a legacy edition. Todd gave me an awesome shout-out for that. But this is on prophetic evangelism. This group, I trust, I don't have to explain what prophetic evangelism is. I have to in a lot of different places. But it's one thing when you have what I call it is a programmatic approach to evangelism, and it's another thing when you have a prophetic approach or a presence approach. I truly believe that all evangelism is going to this place where it's going to be presence evangelism. That's really what revival happens is people drive by Azusa Street when it was on fire and walk in and get saved. The atmosphere. But no matter what happens, you're still going to have to use your mouth. You're still going to have to share the gospel. It is given unto us. And so in this book, we want to give you tools that will help you out. We also have a book on revival. Uh, this is not meant to be a quick read. I was talking to somebody that said every time I pick it up, I began to weep. I started jumping up and down and started weeping myself because when I wrote this, I went on a prolonged, like crazy fast. I don't recommend it. But my prayer was people say, hey, man, that was a good book. I read it in one sitting. I said, God, wreck folks that read this. This is about revivals, outpourings, awakenings, and reformers. I cover about 40 different ones. This is not just about history. I love the moves of God in history because I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, what God has done once is prophecy of what he intends to do again. So what the devil wants to do is to keep you from your history that you don't know that it's been, you think, oh, my God. There, I've heard people, it's so bad now that, like, no, you don't know. It's so bad, it must be God. What I'm saying is that when it gets this bad in the previous eras, God has broken out in revival because revivals are most likely when they seem least likely because revivals don't come when a nation is in the moral high ground. It comes on the other end. And this is what this is about. And so we got both of them. And then we got a, I, I don't know, I don't want to spend too much time. 24 hours of teaching on prophecy and uh, pro being prophetic, words of knowledge. I just love to equip my wife and I. 24 hours is a book and a video on here. So jump drive our entire e-course on the prophetic. Here we go. Actually, I'm going to give this away. I just want to give this away. So who wants prophetic evangelism? My sister in the, in the grandma life is the best life. Okay, I'm going to give this to you. You give that to her. We got, okay, you're right here on revival. And then, okay, sis, here we go. Let's see your catching. Oh, nice, nice, nice catching ability. All right, Genesis 26, and we're going to start reading at verse 12. It says, then Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same, my computer just did a weird thing, and it reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. You think we can squeeze the word prospering in that verse anymore? How many of you believe that God really does want to bless you? How many of you, come on, just about 20 of you. Okay, we're going we're gonna to keep preaching, all right. For he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now God's going to bless you, but as the young people say, haters going to hate. Come on, everybody's going to love the fact that you're prospering. You're going to accrue some enemies. There are going to be some adversaries. How many of you understand blessing leads sometimes to the enemy trying to do this thing in the area of a kickback? But, okay, but it says now the Philistines had stopped up, say stopped up, all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, 
for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again. Say, dug again. The wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Running water there. Why is revival so important? I've actually even heard people say, we don't need revival, Sean. We need reformation. Now, a couple of thoughts on that. Let me unpack this very quickly. If you are not in the image of Christ and you try to make someone like in the sense of Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, you're not going to cause them to be transformed. You're going to cause them to be deformed if you're not in the image of Christ. Revival causes us to look like Jesus. So before we start to reform, if we're trying to make people like us, like if, if we bring new believers in a church that isn't revived, a dead religious church, that's not bringing reformation, that's bringing deformation. Come on, somebody. That it's not either or, it's both and more. We need the church to be revived. And when the church is revived, then reformation can come to different segments of a nation. Somebody say amen. amen. Revival. Why do we need revival? If you look at America right now, you watch news, you follow it on social media. America is like these old movies back in the day. There would be this classic scene where all of a sudden there would be this, this kind of uh, singular pilot plane prop plane that would be in his nose dive and it was kind of like I don't know what it was it must have been like a Hollywood thing and the guy would put his hand on the steering wheel of the plane which I just recently found out is called a yoke hmm very interesting they're unable to pull the yoke back and then all of a sudden they either crash or they parachute but they wouldn't show you it back in the day now they probably just show it to you but what I'm saying is America is in a nose dive when we have this whole thing of non-binary, gender-blending, like fluid sexuality, when we're killing babies in the womb the way we're killing babies, when we're thumbing our nose, when Lucifer has a television show and we're trying to take the name of Jesus off the collective consciousness of a generation, we need to be wake up. We need revival. So in this prop plane, imagine legislation, although I think some of us think we can legislate revival. No, you can't legislate revival, right? You got a Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, allow God to bring revival. Legislation, education, international cooperation, all of it has put his hands on the yoke, but it can't lift the yoke. Only one, only Jesus, the great reviver, has the ability to pull. If you have any kind of concern, I know I'm yelling right now, if you have any kind of concern for what's going to happen to your children, your grandchildren, you ought to put everything you can into pursuing Jesus' heart over a generation. But the good news is this. We are going to see revival. I believe it's already started. As my wife and I travel to different churches, I can truly say in three and a half decades of ministry this September, I have never seen the hunger levels that I've seen in the pew and in churches I've seen right now. Proof by 500 of y'all signing up for this. I've never, it's like people have come back desperate enough where I think they're going to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit, right? I think they're going to come to church and all of a sudden, right, not be looking at their watches and ready to jump out of the service when the clock strikes noon. I believe there are people that are hungry for the more and they won't settle for the less. And here's, here's the glorious thing of why God allowed it. God did not 
put COVID on the planet. We know every good and perfect gift comes from above. Father of lights within whom there's no variation, shifting shadow. You know that. God is a good God. But he can use it. This is the thing about the sovereign God. He could take something meant for harm and bless you by it. Hello, Joseph. And I think what the Lord has done, because what precipitates every great mighty move of God, whether it's on an individual basis, corporate basis, or regional, yeah, even national or international basis, is desperation. And I think the one thing that eluded us for so long is we just weren't desperate for the Lord. We kind of came in with this consumer Christianity rather than having consumed Christianity by allowing the Holy Spirit. You know, back in the early day, right after Zuzu Street, the preachers wouldn't preach where you fill with the Holy Ghost. The vernacular was in that day. I wrote about it. They asked, are you possessed by the Holy Spirit? You got to get desperate to get possessed. You got to go to a place where this is the thing. Revival is a non-negotiable. It is the heart of Jesus. Revival, and I get it. We, we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, we're, this is a revival meeting, but we understand this. We cannot legislate revival. Revival isn't just a series of meetings. Revival isn't just you getting excited and getting some Holy Ghost goosebumps. Come on. Revival isn't we got a special little time here and we go back to normal. In fact, if you have a time and you go back to normal, you didn't get an outpouring of fire. You had a hot flash. Come on, because it didn't last long enough to be fire, right? If you go back to normal, then it wasn't revival because revival brings its own normal. God shows us what normal ought to look like in revival. It's like the church has gotten so far. I'm going to be negative for about two minutes. It's like the church has gotten so far away from what Book of Acts services ought to look like and then some because there ought to be a progression is that God gives us normal and when he starts doing stuff, we call it new, but that just shows it's been so long since he did it in our midst. It seems foreign to us. I'm going to amen myself. Come on, Sean, preach that thing, boy. Preach that. Revival is, normal is God's normal, is coming into revival one way and leaving a completely different way. And we need it. The enemy says this emerging generation is godless. Statistically, the least church. And after a quarantine, they said fewer of them are coming back to church. The experimentation with different drugs and different things. We even got church kids that are not only, for a while, the big thing was the church hurt movement. Hashtag church hurt. But now we've got them reading their chakras and burning sages and still coming to church and thinking it's okay to mix divination and witchcraft. And I'm telling you, the devil thinks he's got them. But let me tell you what, he has not understood that this thing is about to backfire into the greatest youth awakening, outpouring, because why? The Bible says in Acts that Jesus is sitting back waiting for something. I know people say he can come any, any moment, true, but he is waiting on something, and he's waiting on times of restoration. And if you look at the things that God has done during different reformations and different revivals, you see that every single time God is adding another level. And so now I sense one of the final things on the Lord's heart is massive global awakening, souls being saved, a billion soul harvest in the earth. I know you believe me, but I'm going to have to work on this a little bit. I know some of you believe me, but trust me, we're going to get there. All right. Now, the most dangerous place for a believer to be is to merely be in a place where they're guarding what they've already have. Why? Because you were born to advance. 
Christians that aren't advancing are dangerous in a very bad way, like carnally dangerous. Because you were born to advance. You weren't born to just get to a place in your walk and kind of like, hey, bless God, I'm saved. Wife saved. Husband saved. Junior saved. We're doing good. We got the middle class suburban house. We got the dream. We got the RV. We got, hey, no, no, no. As a believer, you were born to advance. I, I used to think as a baby believer, I'm, I'm going to talk to these people over here for a second. I used to think as a baby believer that the absolute worst nightmare that I could ever have is to wake up one day and realize that in five years, I'm the same Christian I was five years ago. I always thought as a baby believer, and I still believe that's the absolute worst place to be. I mean, the thought of it would make me sick to my stomach. Because we're supposed to go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. Somebody say amen. All right, I'm going to leap off the intensity for a moment and come back. I'm old enough to remember back in the day, you didn't pay for water. How many of you remember that, right? Back in the day. I mean... Come on, some of y'all, y'all, y'all young group. Y'all don't remember that, right? Back in the day, we didn't pay for this water right here. You had to pay your water bill or else they would cut it off. But you weren't paying money for bottled water. Anybody now, lift your hand up if you remember before you had to pay. Okay. I'm Because why? Back in the day, you drunk out the kitchen sink. Come on. You drunk out the washroom. You drunk out the bathroom faucet. Come on, somebody. You, 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 you drunk out of the ghetto garden hose. Come on, somebody. My peoples, my peoples, my peoples. I remember we'd be in inner city Oakland. I grew up in inner city Oakland. We'd be playing football in the street, right? And so I was quarterback and my other buddy. So I say, okay, Pee Wee. Pee Wee was the biggest of all of us, and we called him Pee Wee. I said, all right, Pee Wee, go down by Mr. Jones' Oldsmobile. I want you to do a slant. You turn. I'm going to pump fake the opposite way, but I'm going to hit you. Come on, we got it. We got to get this thing. Or it's our fourth down, right? And so we would do it, and we'd get the, the first down or whatever. But it would be so hot that all of a sudden we'd all stop. We go on the side of the tenement apartments I grew up in. We would cut on the nozzle and we would let it flow. Now I can see some of y'all breaking out with Purell already. Let me, <laughs> let me explain. We were germaphobes because we would let the discoloration come out of the hose before we would put it on our mouth because we was germaphobes. We didn't want that discolored stuff. So we would pour and then poochie. All ghetto dogs are poochie. So poochie would slobber on it. So we just wipe it off on our pants, right? put it to our mouth or do like this and pass it around. It was bonding, right? It, I, honestly, I think my autoimmune system is better for it. That's just my, my theory, okay? But then we quit doing that. Why? Because all of a sudden, Evian came out with bottled water, and in the midst of it, they charged us a amount of money, and people started thinking it was weird, but they were thinking, you're getting special water. By the way, Evian is naive spelled backwards. Just saying, just saying, all right? And it makes sense because they say 45% of bottled water that's sold to you is actually tap water run through a basic filter that you would have a better one in your refrigerator. Just saying. Dasani, how many of you heard of Dasani water? Dasani, I'm, I'm making this up obviously, but Dasani in the original Greek means we making bank off these fools. That's what I think it is personally because... Y'all laughing at my joke. Dasani is making over, they made a loan over $12 billion annually. Bottled water. Nestle. Nestle wasn't good enough to stay in the chocolate business. They saw how lucrative the water bottle business is. Nestle came out with bottled, how many of you seen Nestle's bottled water? Yep, 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 yep. Nestle, newsflash, was sued 
for filling up bottles with essentially garden hose water. All I got to say is we had it right back in the day in the hood. We was doing it right. Why is this important, John? We pay for water because what? Water is life. In the ancients in the old times, I'm reading specifically about Abraham. When God would bless one of the patriarchs and he would give them land, one of the first things that the early Israelites or patriarchs would do is that they would erect an altar. They would build an altar to thank the Lord. The very next thing, or at least pretty close to the very next thing they would do, is they would dig a well. Follow me. Because without water, you're not going to make it. Junior's not going to make it. Your family's not going to make it. Your cattle's not going to make it. They were an agrarian culture, meaning that they grew their crops. No water, no life. So they had to dig a well. If your well dried up, you can catch this in the Old Testament. Many times they would have to pick up and leave and dig a well and move their entire city to where the water was. Water is life. So they would dig this well, and then you could drink, you can have water, you can do all this stuff. But the Bible says Abraham dug a well. Follow me. Abraham died, second of all. And then it says the Philistines filled up the wells. Now watch this. Check the timing of the Philistines. They filled up the wells. They didn't fill up while Abraham was alive. They waited till he died. So the enemy seeks to block your well during times of transition. There's been greats, whether it's Reinhard Bonnke, whether it was Billy Graham, whether there was others, that they stood for something, soul winning, healing, power of God. And the enemy waits to these generational giants die to come plug up the wells that another generation doesn't understand the well that's there or the quality of the flow that ought to be normal. So the enemy, watch this, looks to the transition of the church coming out of COVID. And I'm tired of talking about COVID, so trust me, I'm not going to mention COVID again. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. But the enemy's trying to block wells and keep people at home drinking your mocha latte, kind of sitting on your couch, having church off a screen. Now, if you have a genuine health crisis, I know I, people got quiet. Y'all didn't shout me now. I recognize if you have a genuine health crisis and you got to be at home, but I, it's funny. You made it back to Target. You made it back to Walmart. You made it back to, come on, Home Depot, but we can't get you back to church. I don't know about you. I feel I got more faith. To be around these people, even if I caught it, somebody going to have enough anointing on them to lay hands on me. I'm going to get healed. You ain't going to get healed like this in aisle six. Come on, a whole depot looking at tractors. Come on. Well, not tractors, lawnmowers, whatever, right? You got to understand the enemy looks in transition. That's why how we're approaching heaven right now is so significant. The enemy has clogged up some wells in this nation. And I don't know, like, it says Abraham died. The enemy looks for transition in your life. I, I've seen this. I work with young people enough in my life in campus ministry. That's where I got saved. That's where I did 10 years initially of ministry, directing outreaches at secular universities and still go out and do it. The transition from high school to college, the enemy clogs wells. And there's many kids. They say 85% of kids that grow up in our youth groups will abandon their faith on a secular college campus or after that 18 years of age. Many people, they have gone through a tough season in their life. And as a result of the tough season, enemies sought to clog up your wells and the way you hungered for God, the way you got on your face at an earlier point in your walk. Somehow you took enough hits 
and I, and I get this. Trust me, man. I'm saying this out of really a, a broken heart. But somehow the enemy has come to clog the wells. The enemy waited till Abraham died. And this is this man's legacy, but it's Isaac's inheritance. And so let's borrow this right here. This is going to be our well, makeshift well, prop right here. Okay? I don't know. Everybody probably can't see it, but here we go. Maybe if it gets up. This is our well. Philistines, in order to clog the well, they had to put dirt, they had to put debris, they put dust and everything. And my thing is, Abraham died, but Isaac, where were you? I don't know anybody else reads the Bible like that. I'm like, hey, man, this is my inheritance. I'm not about to let, no, this is funny. My wife will laugh at this tragic part and then this other part. Uh, my mom recently went to be with the Lord, and she was of age and lived, lived a blessed life, loved the Lord. I got a chance to see my my mom come to know the Lord after I got saved. She has a house about 30 minutes from us. And long story short, there's some squatter dude that never officially had residence there that was living in my mom's house. And the dude, all of a sudden, I saw, we saw a PG&E jump. We saw everything. The guy thrashed my mother. Moved, it was demonic. Moved into my mother's master bedroom. His house was not super crazy big. And the dude is just drug paraphernalia. He's got like tubes where he's tying. He's got uh, hyperdermics. The dude is cooking meth. The dude's marijuana. He's got like stuff that you could tell. He's, he's, and I'm just thinking the enemy is trying to get on this inheritance. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me and saying what you're going through. And this, we're still facing this right now. <laughs> we're trying to get this dude right. And, and, and the guy never had any agreement to stay there. California just got some whack laws. Another story, another time. But I felt like the Lord spoke to me it says the enemy is coming to squat on the church's inheritance in this season. And we need some Isaac that will stand up. Now, here is the problem. Isaac has three options. Option number one, your dad's passed. Philistines have clogged up your well. Peace out, deuces, right? You can just walk. Go find you another well and dig. Not an option, right? That's why you're here. That's not an option for a generation. It's not an option for America. It's not an option for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing, and this has a, a larger group. There's those deserters. But this is now a well that's filled with dirt, filled with rocks. Maybe a little trickle of water comes out, but it's not the flow. So second option, Isaac. You can learn to live with a crack well diminished flow Christianity, if I can put it in that lingo. And I think we've done it. I think we've allowed the Philistines to come and clog our well. And so all of a sudden, I'm telling you what, you can put three-dimensional, holographic, man, all of the best special effects that churches could have, mega churches. You can have, as my mentor would say, big screens, fog machines, and skinny jeans, and all that. Nothing wrong with that if you wear that. Amen, amen. But at the end of the day, all you offering people is a diminished aspect of what ought to be flowing in the house. Flow implies movement. And so here's my thing. I feel like we've allowed a generation to come up underneath our midst that this, this is all they know. All they know is a diminished well, crack well Christianity. They've not seen the danger of allowing a well in a diminutive, now I'm speaking of the well in terms of how we do church for a second, how we walk out Christianity. The problem with a diminished well Christianity is you allow that to become a definition and there are people that have come through, they've never seen this thing fully flowing. I, I see, I got saved. I can remember, right? I'm going to tell you. I can remember when I got saved, 
I can remember being in services where someone couldn't even wait till the altar call is given. They would stand up, run forward, and give their life to Christ, weeping on the altar because there was such anointing in the house. Right? Contrast that now where there's churches where witches could come and sit up in the church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and there ain't enough anointing, enough of Jesus in the house to cause enough agitation value that you either got to get, get saved, Hilda, or you won't have to bounce, but you can't just stay casting curses on the people of God. And can I talk this straight with you all? I, I know I'm just nudie. Can I, can I be this straight with you? Okay, 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 okay. I've been in services where a guy that I ended up getting a chance to work with pointed at a woman, an Asian woman in a wheelchair and said, ma'am, the power of God is on you. Would you get up? She initially doesn't move. He said, would you get up? Three times. Would you get up? He said, usher, would you help me? The power of God is on this woman. Elders came, or an usher, excuse me, came and put his hands on this precious Asian lady surrounded by her Asian family. She's startled. She jumps up, and then she's shocked. She had like a little, I don't know what you would call it, like a little blanket. Thank you. She had a blanket. It fell to the ground. If you didn't know before, you would know then. If you saw the atrophy of her legs, you know this woman isn't up and walking. This isn't stage. This is legit. And all of a sudden, she started taking some steps, and then she started walking quicker, and then she started running back and forth. Everyone at Henry, Henry J. Kaiser Auditorium in Oakland, California, hit their, uh, excuse me, began to clap. My friend, Randy Sakuda and I, who's a pastor in Northern California now, we start bawling. Because Jesus, you know, then we later found out the story. Remember he said, man, power of God's on you, get up. She didn't understand English. Her Asian family had brought her over, and they were so amazed. They didn't say anything to her in the meantime, and they're all bawling. She gets up. I saw a well that flows. So let, let me, this is, this is what I'm working towards. I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked. I can't go to a dead church. I can't go to a dead service. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do my best to bring life. That sounded a little arrogant. I, I don't mean to say it like that. I'm going to do everything I can to fight for the churches. Okay, hear me. This, that's Jesus' bride. But what I'm saying is that's not my normal now. Once you see someone get up out of a wheelchair, once you see folks get saved, get delivered, I got delivered, man. I mean, the devil's trying to choke me out one night, man. When you experience that, you can't just all of a sudden say, I'm going to be cool with a nice little three songs, a little offertory. Somebody give me a little video announcement. Come up 27 minutes later, you're out of the church and you shook somebody's hand. Come on, the problem with a 27-minute service that creates 27-minute Christians. Come on, we need some folks that's willing to linger in the presence. Do we have a generation of Samuels that are willing to lay at the ark? Man. I was going to preach something else. <laughs> deep things don't come from shallow places. When they dug a well, they had to dig it deep. Why? The deeper the well, the purer the flow. The deeper the well, you don't drink out of shallow, right? A puddle forms over there. Say if it starts to rain a puddle, you're not going to drink out that puddle. Poochie may drink out that puddle. You're not going to drink out of that puddle. I believe there are people coming to our churches, they're tired of the superficial and the shallow. I believe they want the depth. They want the real. They want Jesus. They want to see a church that really loves like Jesus. That they can, okay, I'm going to really step out there. Okay, go for Sean. They love people that look different than them. They love people that stand for the national anthem. They love people that kneel for the national anthem. They love people on the far right. They love people on the far left. I'm not getting as many amens. Are we kingdom or are we partisan? 
Because if you're partisan, you got to crack well, diminish flow. Jesus is going to back off anything that isn't kingdom first. I'm going to vote responsibly like you voted responsibly. I'm going to vote biblically. Anybody that knows me, you would know where I'm coming from in this. But my heart breaks when I see Christians that are more ready to defend their party than to defend the gospel, than to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. And that tells me you got to crack well, and you need to get that thing patched up, buddy. You need to get it patched up. And Facebook, let Jesus govern your posting on social media. I'm just, this, is this a revival meeting right here? Okay, okay, okay. I know I'm, I'm, going, I'm going crazy. All right, bring it, rein it in, Sean, rein it in. Crack well, diminished flow. Have we grown up beside a diminished flow? Have we made the assumption that that is the normal? Or is there someone in here, and I get it, we all brought our spoons, right? We want to be fed. But can I challenge you something? Bring your spoon, but bring your shovel. We need somebody to start digging. We need some believers that will dig. Spoon says you came for you. Shovel says I want something that's going to pour out that the region will be impacted. Somebody outside this tent will be as blessed as someone inside this tent. We got believers that have brought their spoons, but I need some folks that will bring some shovels. I need some folks that have a shovel in their left pocket, their right pocket, got an extra shovel out in the trunk of their car. We need some folks because what we need, we need folks digging. We can't just expect the leaders to dig, the pastors to dig, the people that put on the conference to dig. We we need you to dig. We need you to get your shovel out. We need you to say, Isaac, hey, God did not intend. These Philistines, we're going to deal with them later. But in the meantime, I got to get my well open again. And I believe in this region right here where you're at. I mean, whether it was John G. Lake. I believe there was an incredible meeting that Catherine Coleman had here. There was D.L. Moody in your area. My goodness, you do your history. You got some wells in Illinois. You got some wells, and what God has done once is an indication of what he intends to do again. If a place is ever visited, you got a well. If you got a well, you got a promise. And if you don't have a well, you don't have a promise, you got a book full of promises right here. So how many of you are still with me? Okay, awesome. Mm, let's just jump to this. Okay, it says the Philistines stopped up the well. I looked this up in the original, and you feel free, you can you look up as well. The word blocked, when it says the Philistines blocked, somebody say blocked. Blocked means to shut up, not like shut up, but shut up, and it means to keep close. So in the original, the Philistines not only stopped up the well, they kind of, by the original language, Seems like they stood around to enforce that it would stay closed, according to the original language. In areas where there's been wells, Illinois, the enemy not only shuts up the well, he stations a principality to keep the well closed. So here's all I'm saying. I'm not giving any credit to the devil, but I am saying this to us. In order to open the well, listen to me, you have to want the well open more than the devil wants it closed. If you could take it or leave it, if it's an ambivalent proposition to you, if, yeah, okay, as long as I'm blessed, I'm doing good, everything like that. But when we get a, a generation of believers that really have some transformation and breaker anointing on them, it, they get this thing on them that's like, oh, no, devil, you are not going to hold my family in bondage. There's not going to be a third generation divorce, alcoholism, drug addiction. My kids are coming back to God. Devil, you can't have them. I plead the blood of Jesus. I'm standing on the word. The enemy is trying to come at you. 
And here, <laughs> oh, the word, I'm going to finish this. The word not only means stop up and keep closed, but it means to keep secret and disguise. I tell you, there are two shades of the meaning. So when you said the Philistines stopped up, it means to shut up, keep closed, but it also means to disguise, keep secret. So watch this. Here's what the Philistines did. They not only filled the, the, the well with rocks, they covered it with dirt. So if you're just walking by Israelite dude, you, you just see a sand mound that could easily have been over the Middle East Right, dusty parking lot, every place you look, you don't even know there's a well here. So the enemy not only stops up your well, not only enforces that the well stays closed, he hides it so you don't even know it's there. Why? Because you won't dig if you don't know a well is there. That's the reason why you got to get on, we got to get on our face before the Lord and say, God, what is our assignment in this season that we're finding ourselves? Where am I to dig? Because you're supposed to dig. You got something. Digging, it begins in your secret place. It begins with you alone with God. It begins with you getting alone and allowing the writer of this book to kiss your heart. It, 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 it is in a place with a revelation of who the Father really is because you got to know who he is before you really draw near to him. It, it's in the secret place of your worship. I love it when people have worship. I love it when I play worship music. But tell you what, if worship instrumentation fell off the planet, it would not interrupt my worship. I'm going to worship if I got to get some pots and pans and spoons and sing in the shower with my bad voice. I can't sing like Todd. I'm going to sing and worship God. Your digging begins because why? There's a well. Now I'm going to move from a regional well of Illinois to the Bible says... There's a well in you. Jesus said, how many of you understand this? He was in the world. Jesus, so are you two in the world. How many of you understand that verse? Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who it is to ask you for John 4, if you know who it is to ask you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink, and a drink, it would become living water, and even one translation goes on to say it would be a well in you, that you have a well. And maybe the issue tonight, we're moving towards closing, is that your own individual well has gotten clogged. You know you have a clogged well when the joy isn't flowing out of your life. It spurts. Sometimes you got joy, sometimes you don't. You know something's clogging your well when a witness doesn't flow from your life of how good it is that you want to tell people about Jesus. When there's not a flow of the supernatural and faith in your life that I'll lay hands on the sick, somebody's going to get healed. Man, cut me loose in Starbucks today. I'm about to prophesy over the barista, over that dude over there waiting for us, smoke a lot. Come on. There ought to be a flow coming out of you. Jesus said, okay, John 7. He said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Drink. Somebody say drink. drink. He says, out of their animals being shall flow. Somebody say flow. flow. Follow me. Jesus expects your drink to become a flow. We have so many people getting drinks, but it never, it never translates to a flow that could bless the world around them. They keep drinking. They keep drinking. They keep drinking. Awesome. Keep drinking. But Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, I'm coming to me a drink out of their innermost being shall flow. God expects a flow to come out of you. Mm. So to keep secret means the enemy keeps you. The fact that your secret place is being neglected, hidden from you. If we get busy. And I feel like if, if there was anything past season was about, it's about God unplugging us from so much stuff. So we would tighten our connection with Jesus. This thing has got to be about Jesus. We got to get back to loving Jesus. It's got to be about loving Jesus. It's got to be about that. And all the while, our own wells are neglected. And then it's so easy. I see people, when our, our wells get to the point where we're not getting enough 
water flowing out. It's so easy to become critical of other people that do have a well because rather than get out a shovel and unclog your well, you complain about the other people that have a free flow as if they're what's wrong. And if I can lovingly tell you they're not what's wrong, they're what's right. You might be what's wrong because somehow there's something in you that says that they need to diminish their flow down to your level to make you feel better about yourself. And you're a son and daughter of the Most High. That's not your identity. You have a block well if. Okay, we'll play that game. You have a block well if, right? You're more spiritually crispy than spiritually crisp. How many of you know you go to the produce section, you want your lettuce crisp, but you don't want it crispy, right? There's certain things. How many of you know there are people you get around, people that are crisp are alert. They're in love with God. They're conscientious. They walk in love. There's a hunger for the word. You know what I'm talking about. But you know when you get crispy, you're mad at people. You're mad, like, and it's like, all of a sudden, you don't even realize, why am I feeling this animosity? Why all of a sudden am I bitter towards this person? It's proof that you might have a clog well, and it's time to get out a shovel. I will talk to you in closing to get this thing open again. I feel like you have a block well if you're walking in more frustration than you're doing joy. I feel like you have a block well if you've settled for what is rather than contend for the more. It's so easy to become stagnant in the midst of that. And here's what the guys would do. And I, I'm going to tell one more story. And I want the, who's ever on the keys or guitar to get ready. Philistines, of course, clogged up the well. Now, follow me. This is not an act of vandalism, right? Like, oh, man, they clogged up our well. We're going to have to go work on our well now, right? No, no, no. You have to understand. Remember, when the patriarchs first got a land, they would build an altar. They would dig a well. And here is what the scholars tell us. Wells were title deeds. That if you had dug a well on the land, it's your land. Now, we get a title deed, we purchase it, or the bank purchases it, and then we pay off the bank, right? But you get a title deed once you pay it off. It's yours. So follow me. What the Philistines were saying is not just that we want to somehow you know, vandalize your wells, what they're saying is, I'm taking the land. The land's not yours. Follow me again. Where you had a well, you had ownership. It's your title deed. When the enemy fills up the well, he's trying to take back your land. The wells that get clogged of spiritual giants and great moves of God are not just spiritual vandalism over the course of history. It's a usurping devil that's trying to take what isn't rightfully his. And the kingdom of God suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. We're not talking about taking guns violent. It denotes a radical intensity in your man to pursue God and what he's got for his people no matter what. Now, here is the thing, and we're going to land right here. What does it mean to be a well breaker? Well, let me give you three quick things, and we're going to be praying. If you're going to be a well breaker, number one, you have to have a scent, S-C-E-N-T. You have to have a scent for water. Because why? You won't redig a well if you don't know where it's at. They say, right? I almost want to get an elephant in my study now. I got a bunch of eagles. I got some lions. They say elephants can smell the water and these elephants will come and they'll start pounding and it will summon other elephants that maybe didn't initially have the scent, but they trust their brother elephant, sister elephant. They'll come stomp because there's a a, a, a well underneath and they'll break it open and the well appears. 
We need some Christians to get their stomp on. All the people say stomp. <laughs> but the key is you have to have a scent for water. Oh, Sean, okay, just say it. I've always grew up playing sports. Whenever a sports teammate went down with an injury, we all hurt. We all went. I've seen even in the basketball playoffs, there was a minute there where Giannis had bent back his knee and all the teammates, I remember even the other teammates. I, I, oh, man, how do I say this? I think what has happened is that we've kicked into celebrity Christianity. And there's certain people, I'm not going to mention any kind of names because, man, I need Jesus as much as the next guy. And I honestly say this with a broken heart. But there are times when they preach, I don't, I don't, they're great orators, they're great communicators, but I don't sense the anointing. I don't sense that deep thing that moves inside of me. And maybe I was dull in that minute, but I've listened to enough sometimes. And I think sometimes they'll get the oohs and ahs, they'll get the followers and everything. And I'm certainly not setting myself up like I'm this other dude on the other side that's all that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a son going after the father the best I know how. But I think we need to get a scent again. Enough that we could approach some of these guys before the falling, before the moral failure. We could rescue them because we already say, bro, I'm, hey, man, how's your quiet time? How you doing with the Lord, man? That we could check on folks. I was talking to a, a, a pastor, and I, I, it was bad, but it was good. He was saying one of his heroes recently, I, I'd say within the last year, came out that he was having multiple affairs, a, a mega pastor uh, guy. And it was a young guy that was really tied into him. And... He said, man, it was a wake-up call for us all that all of a sudden in the midst of this, I really have to recognize, and this is the thing, crack well is hipster Christianity, free flow well, because I don't want, the Bible doesn't say hipster be your name, it says hallowed be the, your, thy name. At the end of the day, I want hallowed Christianity, right? I hope in that I didn't go overboard, because my point is not in trying to point any individual. My point is, do we have a scent for water? If you have a scent, you're drawn in worship. You have scent, you're drawn to the secret place. I smell the water, I need it. All of a sudden, you don't recognize that, man, you can find the scent of water in a worship song. You begin to weep because you feel the Lord begin to commune with you. And we got to get the scent for water. So number one, scent for water. Number two, you cannot be content with building cisterns but wells. I was in Israel, and I was in a dugout cistern just off a of Temple Mountain that had 30 pastors, myself included, inside. So cisterns could be big, but follow me. Cisterns are still a container. I'm not satisfied with cisterns. I want wells. I can get God from someone's preaching, get God from someone else's podcast, get God from someone, but there's nothing like going in a secret place and digging my own well because I don't want cisterns. I want a well. I'm going to do that other stuff because I'm hungry, but I have to dig my own well. And third and final of all, People say, Sean, you're disciplined, right? I, I mean, I, I, people have said that. Maybe because of the way I eat, the way I work out or whatever, my quiet time. I don't know that I'm classic discipline. Let me confess to you something. Because what I'm doing and what you're doing is we're taking rocks out of a clogged well, whether it's our life or in a community or region, and we're lifting these rocks. We're shoveling the dirt Discipline says I'm doing it to get rid of the rocks and get rid of the dirt. 
That's a disciplined person. I don't know that I'm that guy. I'm doing it because this is the third point. I have faith that I will strike water at the bottom of this. What's going to get you up at 5 a.m. in the morning praying, I believe I'm going to strike water? What gets you to walk up to that strange person because you know God's dealing with you that you say, go over there and tell them that I love them. And it's like, oh, man, it's kind of tough for me. I might get rejected. The reason why you do that is I believe I'm going to strike water. If you do not believe, Jesus spoke of everything in the Bible in terms of a loss to be avoided, benefit to be gained. They say those are two things that motivate people. Loss to be avoided, benefit to be gained. That at the end of the day, I believe we'll strike water. At the end of the day, I believe that there will be a third great awakening. I believe there will be a record number of people who give their life to Christ. I believe our sons and daughters will have a free flow Christianity and know what vintage Jesus looks like. I believe that Jesus is more fair than the sons of men, chief among 10,000. I believe you put Jesus next to anyone else, everything else fades. If they could really see Jesus, if we can get religious, religiousness off of the thing and we can just put forth a raw Jesus. I believe just like my life and your life, people will fall in love, but we got to get back to this place, folks. All right, I went long. How many of you give me five minutes? Just five. Okay. This is important. John chapter four, Jesus walks up to a woman at the well, Samaritan woman, asked her for a drink. She says, I don't, I don't, I don't have something to dip from the water. Besides, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're a man, I'm a woman. So she's going to all the cultural di distinctions and differences, right? She pulled out 2020 on them. That's what she did, right? Jesus says, if you knew who it was and that whole thing, and then he says, go call your husband. She says, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, uh, you, you rightly said it. Uh, you've had multiple husbands and the man you're shocking up with now, you're not married to. Didn't say it to embarrass her. He said it to cite her thirst. How many of you know there's a righteous thirst and then there's like a Instagram thirst, as the kids would say. She was thirsty, right? Proof of it being, it says she was at the well six hours of the day. Did some research on this. People that study Jewish customs and stuff say that the people would come for their water early in the morning. Makes sense. And they would come at it late in the evening, partially because it was so hot. Sometimes the well was a distance away. But probably you'd get it in the morning. Everybody would get their water. But then in the evening, you would need it when everyone's coming back. The fact that she's six hour today is 12 noon. The fact that she's at a well at 12 noon, hmm, maybe this just wasn't a well for her. Maybe this was where she was meeting men. Maybe this is her singles bar. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, I'm going to show up at the hour in which maybe she's met her five previous husbands at this spot. But he didn't say it to embarrass her. And all of a sudden, the conversation goes to what she really needed, a consummate desire to worship the one true God, that your thirst would be answered. And so she goes off in the village, Sikar Samaria. She tells the guy, stick with me now. Y'all listen to this. And all the people are so impacted by this woman's testimony. The Bible says, makes it seem like the entire city. Let's say a large majority of the people came out. They listen to Jesus. They go back and they say, we don't believe because of what you told us. We believe because we heard for ourselves. So watch this. Jesus shows up at this well and all of a sudden the entire community, city, gets saved. Or become a follower of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? We're not, we haven't gotten past the cross, the resurrection, everything. Rewind this thing 1,500 years earlier. It's where we were. Abraham digs a well. He's probably Abram at the time. He passes the well. Philistines fill it. Isaac redug the wells. Amen. Isaac got the right thing. Isaac passes it on to his son Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. 
right? He loved Joseph. Joseph had a dream. Joseph was going to have people. He was going to be a man of influence, and people were going to honor the position and authority that he had. His brothers got jealous of him. They jacked him, took his coat. Come on. And threw him in a pit. By the way, when your brothers jack you, take your coat, throw you in a pit, you come from a dysfunctional family. Okay, just <laughs> making that clear. Sold into slavery. You know the whole story. He's a man of integrity. Joseph rises to a place, interprets the dream after seven awesome years of plenty, seven bad years of famine because of the fact that he knew to store up. He was a storehouse for the then known world. In the midst of it, his brothers come because they're in the midst of a drought. They got to get. So I'm doing all this to say this is the big reveal. All of a sudden, Jacob gets to come to his son, Joseph, Hug and kiss is awesome. This is Hallmark, y'all. This is awesome. But then here's what Jacob says, and this is where we're going to land. Jacob says to Joseph, he says, don't bury me here. I'm going to go, and my heart is well because I've seen you now. Take me out to that well and bury me. He takes him out to the well that is now called Jacob's Well. But Jacob's well was dug and inherited from Isaac, who inherited from Abraham. And the Bible says in Genesis that God said to Abram, I'm giving you this land to you and your descendants. So Abraham built an altar, built a well. And so there's a promise over the land. Now fast forward it, 1,500 years. It's now being occupied by people that have mixed paganism with their Jewish heritage. When Jesus is walking up to the well, he's not just witnessing, although he would, to a needy Samaritan woman, and Jesus would leave the 99 for the one, but can I submit something to you? Jesus walks up, and the Bible even says in John 4, that it's Jacob's well, that Jesus is modeling what well-breaking really looks like, that in fact, he wasn't just witnessing to a poor Samaritan woman, although he would do it. He was, in fact, redeeming a revival narrative 1,500 years in the making. Because there was a promise given that that well belongs to God's people. And it went to generation. Even Jacob saying, I don't want to get too far from the well. Get me by the well. And now this is when revivals break out. Why? Because when Jesus stood by that well, when the church aligns itself with heaven over a well, the well opens and then cities are impacted. All right. Bow your heads. Bow your heads. Jesus, Lord, I just thank you, God. I just sense all over this place, God. There's a cry for the more, God. There's a cry for the more, Father. Lord, I, I feel it in my heart that there is a, a desperation for your presence. I feel it. I sense it amongst God's people. It's like, give me the real. I, I, I don't want to be on the outskirts. I don't want to play church. Lord, none of us needs another meeting for a meeting's sake. We need to meet with God. And Father, Lord, maybe, maybe I've allowed my well to get cracked. And not pointing any fingers, we all did it during a time that it was more, for some people, it was more of the Netflix binge than digging the wells and allowing a flow to come in our hearts. But God, you're here. And I, know, I don't think the Father's disappointed at us or disappointed in us, I think he's disappointed for us because he knows what could be unleashed, what could be released. 
if we just get with the Father and dig the wells. Father, I pray all underneath these tents at the sound of my voice. Father, I believe you're calling us to a place where we get back to digging. Lord, we ought to have, Father, uh, Lord, maybe a shofar in one hand and a shovel in the other, God. A shovel, a shovel and a shofar. That, Lord, we're, we're being called in the midst of battle. We're calling to a place of praise and worship. We're declaring breakthrough, but then we're digging, God. We're digging. Father, I, I sense the pursuit over the affections of the body of Christ. It was highly contested and warred over about this time last year. But I feel like there's some people that reached the place where they go, I'm a dig, God. I want the free flow. I want an outpouring. I want Jesus to be Jesus. And here's where it may begin for some of us tonight. When Isaac cleared out the well, the first thing he had to do is literally that, pick up rocks. It's called a clear out. All revivals begin with a clear out. You have to remove the debris. What is the clear out for you? What is the debris? What's the thing that's gotten in the way? Please hear me. I'm not trying to make it a works thing. Work harder, work harder. No, 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 no. It's not about working harder. It's about moving closer. The shovel is about me not allowing anything to separate me from the flow of the Holy Spirit within us. Can I just ask this first of all? Maybe you're here right now. I don't know how far you've come. I take it not everyone is just in from this immediate area. I've already seen some folks that I know that if you got on a plane to get here or you drove some days to get here, that's awesome. And I feel the hunger. But revival isn't just about shouting and feeling good. It is about feeling God. Revival is about getting aligned. And when Jesus is aligned over wells, it flows. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor over all of you and your families. And remember, we love you more.